so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. We hope you've benefited from the special series, How to Handle, hosted by Trillia Newbell. Thank you, Trillia, for putting together such helpful conversations. This week, we're resuming our regular series. You'll hear from Keith Getty about the importance of singing together as a church. If we can continue to use beautiful music to re-reach the children of the next generation and encourage them to be creative, to love beauty, to love truth, to be curious, then I think the DNA of, of, of the next generation of, of Christians can be different. And indeed, how the outside world is viewing our voice in the society around us can be one that is altogether more beautiful and winsome. Keith and Kristen Getty have quickly become leaders in church music. Their songs have helped bring a renewed theological depth to congregational songs. They recently wrote a book titled Sing, How Worship Transformed Your Life, Family, and Church, which emphasizes the life-changing importance of Christians singing together. Keith and I delve into that topic in today's interview. We hope you enjoy. Well, Keith, Getty, thank you so much for joining us and uh, being willing to talk about congregational singing, singing and music and what it means to you. You are one of the experts in the church of our day about music. So we appreciate you being here. Oh, it's an honor to be there. Thank you so much. So the first question that I want to ask you is, what's the importance of congregational singing and what does it accomplish? Well, congregational singing is something we're commanded to do by God. So mm-hmm. it's it's a it's the second most common command in Scripture. So in one sense, it's law as much as anything else. To not sing is, is disobedience. Um, but but in addition to that, each each of us is created to sing. It, it's it's mm-hmm. not it's not it's not a hobby we indulge in or a literary club that we join or something that we do if we get something out of, like a like a gym. But it's it's something that each of us do regardless of how well or badly we sing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but most of all, it's 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 a, it, it is how God's people throughout history have celebrated the good news of redemption, mm. from the Song of Moses to the Psalms, uh, to the early New Testament believers, whether they were in jail or whether they were in hiding, um, whether they were against the law, wherever they were, to to right through the church fathers to the reformers to the revivalists to those who brought a Christianity to America, God's people. When they think of redemption, they sing, and so we do. We do because we com- we're commanded by the law because we're created to by the God of the universe, but most of all because his, his, his good news makes us like the Irish missionary Nick Carmichael say, how can I keep from singing? Mm, so true. And it reminds me of the song of Moses, the song of Mary, and even in Ephesians where Paul says, encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it's a way that we, uh, we share truth with one another and build one another up. So what would you say to the Christian who shows up to church and sings the words along with the congregation, but this Christian is in a season of his spiritual life where he doesn't necessarily feel anything? 
Well, I, I think we come back to the point that the, 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 the first question. That first of all, we sing because we're commanded mm. to sing. It's it's part of how God has 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 designed us to be fired up. Uh, part of how God has designed us to, to to understand and learn our faith. It was why, for example, Martin Luther five hundred years ago was so determined to return to congregational singing, even though his forerunner, um, the Hus, Jan Hus and the Hussites, Jan Hus was was sentenced to death by law on on counts of three three acts of heresy and treason, one of which was encouraging congregational singing. Hmm. So Luther, in knowledge of that, risked the same thing in the midst of everything, because he understood that to reform the church is done is done through the Word of God, is done through the understanding of the Word of God and the singing of the Word of God. The preacher helps us understand the, the words in the page, but we carry them out of the church by the songs that we sing. So he understood that if you want to put the Word of God into your heart and into your emotions or into your head and into your memory or into your prayers and into your words and ultimately into your life and witness and legacy, then that is done primarily through the singing of the Word. It, it, it would have been an anathema to Luther that you would you would study the Bible for forty five minutes and either not sing mm. or, or or sing a silly emotional song that somehow gives you an emotional tweak after so much terrible understanding. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and indeed, if you look at if you look at the early if you look at the, if you look at his successors three generations later, or I'm sorry, more than that, if you if, if, if even go to his successors who the the. The New England Puritans who brought Christianity to America and helped establish so much of the heritage of our country. You know, they're, you know, they, 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 they started singing schools, which became Sunday schools. The American Sunday school movement grew out of these singing schools where you sing the truths into your whole being. You know, that's why, for example, they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't allow a man to take communion, take the Lord's Supper on a Sunday if he wasn't singing or praying with his children. Hmm. Um, that's how crucial and that's how central what we sing is to our to our spiritual formation, to to our prayer life, to our family life, to 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 how we understand what God says for the world around us, and so that's 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 why you know someone like Ligon Duncan recently said when we look at the Reformation, the the single area and most in need of Reformation in church life is congregational singing. It's not actually the preaching or the praying or the church governance. You know, there there's good there's good there's good evidence to say that there is good Reformation happening in all those areas. What is really lagging is an understanding and a practice of singing. Hmm. Well, and it reminds me of Romans where Paul talks about faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God. And in my own life, when I've had dry seasons, it's singing the truths of God in church among the congregation that has helped awaken that faith in my heart. And like you said, help me to carry the word in my heart, even when I'm wrestling with a, in a depression or a doubt or whatever it might be, but it awakens faith. Absolutely, and I remember my old, my, my old pastor, Alistair Begg. I once called him. Uh, I was having an event. And I said, Alistair, I'm having an event. What do you do when you when you're making an appearance somewhere? And to go back to your question, what do you do when you don't feel it? Where mm-hmm. you just where you 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 took the event on in good faith, but whether it's just the exhaustion of life or your body or your emotions or perhaps you're having a strained time at home or whatever it is. And and he said he said you get yourself into a car and you sing yourself hot. He says mm. sing yourself hot. And so it, it was a wonderful it was a wonderful advice for me. And it's actually why when you actually look at the context of the use of the word singing, so often in scripture it says singing to one another. Mm. You know we go to church not because our churches are the best most clever places in the world or the most or the most functional because most of them are not. 
but we go because it's the place where we go to encourage one another. So singing is a symbol of that. We go there to sing to one another. You know, as, that's why as families we have to be singing to one another because we're reminding each other, you know, of, of eternal things. That's a good good word and good counsel to such an individualistic culture, especially within the church. And it's yeah, a absolutely. good counsel. And, and, and in no area has truth and understanding been so per, you know perversely twisted. I think. And in congregational singing, mm. where this idea that what what is narcissistic for me and works for me for mm. short term, you know, emotional feeling or gratification, right? Um, you know, and no area of church life is it more obvious than in, in singing. So true. So that leads into our next question. So how in this modern age, a lot of we see a lot of production going on in our churches and smoke and lights and all of that. So how can worship leaders avoid even the mentality of trying to manipulate the emotions of the congregation while at the same time I've been in churches where it's just incredibly bland and boring when we're singing such yeah, glorious yeah, yeah. truths? No, no, I know. And, um, you know, I had a friend recently who was a very serious a very serious conservative pastor. He said people people weren't singing his, his a song because he he believes it's because of it's because of the rebelliousness of our generation and the collapse of morals in our society. And I said, I think it's actually just because the song is garbage. You know what I mean? And so, and so I, think you're, I think you're. I think what you say is true. You know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. The, the, the reason God God did not did not make 20% of the Bible songs by accident. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 20% of the Bible are songs because we're fearfully and wonderful. We're, we're emotional beings. We love beauty. We love to sing. It is, it is part of, I mean, you know, even recent health studies talking about how singing in itself releases, you know, releases things in our bodies that, that make us more happy and less stressful people. You know, God, God designs us. This is, this is, this is part of, Part of what we're supposed to do. So we, we we love beauty. It's you know we love beautiful people. We're attracted to beautiful witness. We want to eat dinner tonight. You know I'm, get, I'm getting to go out with a guy and we're going to the nice Italian place in town because we love how I love her. My wife's wanting me to eat salad before the Christmas tour. I love how Italians make salad. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So we love. <laughs> all of us are wired to love beauty. So we have to make our sir. We want to make our services beautiful. We want our musicians to play with all the skills they have to help the congregational sing. But I think if we think of it more in those terms, rather than trying to rather than trying to um, tell people, force emotions onto people, I think that's very, very important. You know, our minds and our hearts should be transformed uh, by the goodness of God. And, and emotions are good, but ultimately, ultimately our worship is out of obedience. To mm-hmm. God. Ultimately, authentic worship has to be, has to be measured by the authenticness of, the, of what we're saying to God, you know, mm-hmm. and our, the authentic picture of God we're creating in our songs. You know, the, the Psalms are full of emotions, but the Psalms acknowledge that God is holy. He is a judge. He is omnipotent and omnipresent. He not, cannot stand evil. Mm-hmm. You know, he is, he is jealous, but he's also full of compassion and longing to forgive and a God of peace who is rich in love and leads us like a shepherd and longs to hear our praises. So, so the songs that we sing, should give us a full and rich and deep picture of the God of the Bible. And that's how we judge our authentic worship, not, not longing for a feeling, right. um, which is ultimately just a form of narcissism. Hmm. But after that, then, of course, let's, let's make sure all of us as artists are, are creating beautiful, beautiful music. You know, neither slaves to tradition mm-hmm. um, nor slaves to constantly singing new songs, because I, I actually think the worst congregational singing I notice these days are churches that have too many new songs. Because ultimately, the singing just gets collapsed, and in the end, 
most of the enthusiasm in the church is happening in the front three rows, and most of the rest of the church is is, is just kind of completely disillusioned and disorientated. Hmm. Well, and like you said, when when we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, the amazing thing is those you don't have to manipulate those feelings come along <laughs> because the word is living and active. That's, that's totally right. You said better than I did. Scratch my last answer. No, no way. Well, and you mentioned um, beauty and creating beauty, and I have a a lot of friends, including my husband, works in the music, the Christian music industry, particularly, and there's a lot of um, grumbling here. And we're at headquartered in Nashville. Um, at the ERLC, but there's a lot of grumbling about the quality of music that's coming out. So when you look at Luther and the Reformation, how do you think that has influenced the artistry of a musician and a songwriter? And, and what are we lacking in our in our songs, our congregational songs today? Well, you know, Luther is my hero. So this is, this is a very easy question. I can answer from a very personal level. But to me, Luther resonated with three things. Uh, three things with Luther resonated with me when we were writing the hymns. Indeed, before we'd even had a song published, we had written the three things we wanted to do. And number one was Luther had a high view of the Word of God, and um, a high view of the Word of God, and that it, that it had to be sung. So this this immense belief that he had in truth, in doctrine, in scriptural memorization, this high view he had of the church and how it was Christ's bride that he died for it his view of the reality of spiritual warfare, his view of the eternal forces that exist around us and that life is eternal, were were all part of the songs that he wrote. The second thing was that Luther had a high view of the local church and God's people gathering together and congregational singing and was willing to go to his death for the belief that church transformation happened through congregational singing. Um, and the third thing was Luther just had a very, very high view of art. He was a he was a musical monk. He was a he was a, essentially a church music director mm-hmm. in the old Catholic tradition. tradition. <laughs> That's what he was. He was a musical guy. He he loved Christmas. He loved playing lutes. There's beautiful pictures of him playing lutes and and partying and celebrating. He was very much a an emotional being. So he wanted us to have the finest music, even outside of congregational singing. He felt church life should church life and all of life should be filled with music, and so he had a love. For good music and um, and an intolerance for bad music. So I think, I think if at the heart of all of us is those three things, at the heart of all of us is a desire to, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly when we're meeting together and in the songs that we're singing, to help each of our local churches sing, everyone sing and be family together. And thirdly, to have the highest view of art that we can have and of music that we can have, given the limitations of the giftings we have. You know, Bach, a century later, Johann Sebastian Bach was inspired mm-hmm. by it and wrote some of the most exquisite church music in the history of the world. I, I don't have Bach's talent, um, but I, I, at my level, can do it. Nature was at her own level can do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and Luther said something like this, next to the Word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Um, right. Why Do you agree with that quote? How have you seen that true in your own life? And what do you think it is about music that affects us so deeply? Oh, my word. No, I, 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 tot- I, I totally agree with it. And I think, you know, you know I, I believe uh, as we look to the future and we look and we look and we pray for the future generations, I put my girls to bed every night and I sing hymns to them. And there's a moment every night, it happened last night after I'd finished singing softly and tenderly or something to my mm-hmm. girls, that you just your heart is filled with fear for the direction American culture is going mm-hmm. right now, and yet at the same time 
you know, our hope is not in the world around us. Our hope is in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so my prayer is always that, that they'll be constantly being transformed by Christ. But, but, but part of how we can do that, part of how we can serve that is in the music we surround our children with. You know, I had, last month I had to be part of a discussion in the English Church Times. Uh, where I think it was four of us were asked to comment on a guy who had just brought out a piece which actually said he believes the entire death of the Church of England is primarily to do with the death of children's choirs, hmm. which seems like the most ludicrous thing you've ever heard, except when you begin to think about it, it's actually extraordinary. It's an extraordinary statement to make. He says it's not to do with doctrine. It's not to do with truth. It's not to do with the collapse of liberalism and, and, and seminaries. It's not to do with. It's not to do with the, the rise of secularism in Britain, nor the rise of Islam and other religions. He says it's to do with the death of children's choirs, and, and you know it's a bit of a ridiculous statement, except it does have so much truth in it. And that you know every town in England had an Anglican church, that 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 was part of the culture, part of the community. And they did children's choirs where children learned the gospel through and the and Bible verses and Christian truth through little community children's choirs that were always part of it. Where they they you know, they had their bell their bell ringing and they did their singing. And at best, children were brought under the sounds of the gospel. They were brought under Christian leaders. They were brought into Christian friendship. They were brought around Christian families, and they actually had a Christian DNA and Christian faith. Mm-hmm. But at very very worst. People saw the church as a friend. They saw the church as something that, that celebrated beauty, whether it was music or bell ringing or children. And somewhere in the middle, everybody had a closer connection to the church. And so, and so, you know, if, if we can continue to use music, use beautiful music to reach to reach the children of the next generation, mm-hmm. and encourage them to be creative, to love beauty, to love truth, to be curious. Um, then I think the DNA of 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 the next generation of, of Christians can be different, and indeed how the outside world is viewing our voice in the society around us can be one that is altogether more beautiful and winsome. The gospel will always be an offence, mm-hmm. but everything else doesn't have to be. That's right. Well, that's such a good encouragement. And what if you could, if you were speaking directly to somebody that was in charge of? worship through music at their church, what encouragement would you offer to them today? Well, my, our encouragement to everyone who's leading music in the churches is to make this year, this Reformation year, the year about congregational singing. Hmm. To encourage families in your church to sing, to encourage churches to sing, to make the only question you ask at staff meeting on a Monday about the music is, how did our church sing hmm. this week? And for church leadership, for pastors, for elders, for music directors, for music teams, for senior leadership, for families, all to be concerned this year about growing our congregational singing in our churches. And let's see where that leads. Um, uh, we're, we're so excited about it. The Sing Book, um, you know, we deliberately released um, mm-hmm. the, the month of the Reformation just to really encourage people. People are talking about Luther, the politician, Luther, the, the, ecclesiolo- the theologian, the ecclesiologist. There, people are talking about his view in history. Uh, people are talking about his scandals. Ever, but nobody is talking about this central belief that Luther had in, in congregational singing and its power to transform congregations. Mm. Well, thank you so much for that. And we're so thankful for you using your gifts along with your wife and your friends to build up the church. And thank, just thank you for the way that y'all are uh, spending your time and your talents to serve us. Oh, our absolute privilege in this life. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you for joining say, us. Say hi to all our friends at the Oh, we will for sure. 
Thank you for listening to the ERLC podcast. Visit ERLC.com to subscribe and keep up with the latest episodes. And join us next week as we hear from a panel about raising our children to love diversity.